All right, we're going to read from Romans chapter 2, verses 1 to 16. You, therefore, have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else. For at whatever point you judge the other, you are condemning yourself, because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now, we know that God's judgment against those who do these things is based on truth. So when you, a mere man, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, tolerance and patience, not realising that God's kindness leads you towards repentance? But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. God will give to each person according to what he has done. To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honour and immortality will be given eternal life. But those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. But glory and honour and peace for everyone who does good, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For God does not show favouritism. All who sin apart from the law will also perish apart from the law. And all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it is those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. Indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature things required by the law, they are a law for themselves, even though they do not have the law, since they show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their consciences also bearing witness, and their thoughts now accusing, now even defending them. This will take place on the day when God will judge men's secrets through Jesus Christ, as my gospel declares. Good morning, everybody. Paul Cooper's my name, and, uh, well, most people call me Coop, so feel free to uh, refer to me that way as well. I'm one of the pastors here at Trinity Church Modbury. Uh, now, there's some tricky bits in this passage, so if you do have a Bible or a device, it'd be really handy this morning to leave it open at that passage, um, and I'm going to jump around through some different parts of that. Let's pray as we begin. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for gathering us here today and uh, to uh, help us to hear your word. We do pray this morning you'd help us to see your truth and that we would be serious uh, in how it applies to each and every one of us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I thought I'd um, start this morning by telling you a story about a guy I used to work with. His name was Horse. Um, yeah, I just think that was funny as well. Anyway, his name was Horse. Not because he looked like a horse. He didn't have a long face or anything like that. But his last name sounded like Horse. So he got called Horse. So I was on this project. He was the electrical foreman. And uh, one day, Horse comes into work. And he's all irate. He's really angry. He's red in the face. And it turns out he's got a ticket in the mail for running a red light. And uh, he's really upset about this. And he reckons, I'm going to go and challenge this in court. So he rocks up to court, he's ready to argue his case, and turns out 
He's wearing the same shirt that he wore when he went through that red light and the camera took a photo. <laughs> so the judge looks down at the photo, looks at horse, that's it, guilty. It's pretty obvious. And, uh, and I don't know or I don't recall what horse was thinking when he got that ticket. You know, he, he might have thought he was a great driver, so you know, there's no way it could have been him. Or um, maybe he thought that uh, you know, he might have done it, but he just shouldn't be punished for it. Might have been one of those things. Either way, his view wasn't very open-minded, was it? His, his view of himself, not particularly open-minded. It wasn't impartial at all. But this judge uh, obviously saw things you know, very clearly, particularly since Horst didn't change his wardrobe. And um, this was a really impartial judge. You know, he saw what happened, and so Horst was punished for that, and uh, he picked himself up a, a fairly hefty fine for it. And uh, who knows, maybe he went out and bought a new shirt as well. And all of us on site got a great story, and poor old Horst heard a fair bit about that uh, for months and months, actually. It was good fun. But the Apostle Paul, who wrote this letter to the church in Rome, he makes the point that God is an impartial judge. And he begins by explaining to his readers that their judgment, unlike God's, is not impartial. Their judgment's not impartial. A bit like horse with his traffic infringement. Their judgment is biased towards themselves. And so that's the first point this morning, that our judgment is not impartial. Now, if you cast your minds back uh, to last week, to chapter 1, uh, Paul's explained that all of, the peop- all of those that don't acknowledge God should see, actually, that God exists. That it's plain to see that God exists. It's plain to see that in everything that God created. And so they've got no excuse not to honour God, to not acknowledge God. But because they don't, Paul said this in chapter 1, and I'll just reread it to you. Paul said this, about those people. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They're gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. And although they know the ordinance of God, those who practice such things are worthy of death. They not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. So we could imagine the Jewish people or anyone who felt fairly comfortable in their position with God reading this back then and saying, yeah, that's exactly what those people do. Those Gentiles and those other people, they're awful, aren't they? Awful people. That's exactly what they get up to. But here in chapter 2, Paul says, actually, you're no better. You have no excuse. You're no better and you have no excuse. And why? Why do they have no excuse? Well, because they pass judgment on others while doing the exact same things themselves. Which sounds strange, doesn't it? I mean, maybe they think they'll get some special treatment from God, perhaps, because of who they are. Maybe they think they're a little bit morally superior 
to the people that Paul's describing there in chapter 1. But Paul says to them, no, don't think you're better than them. And don't think that you've got some sort of excuse. Because actually, if you're judging them, you don't have any excuse. When someone judges someone else for whatever it is, for deceit or malice or gossip or whatever it is, it shows they recognise that thing, doesn't it? They recognise the thing that they're judging. And so they can't, they can't claim that they're unaware of what it is or why it's wrong. And so they have no excuse for doing it themselves. I was involved in another construction job um, years ago and this one had concreters coming in laying down slabs for buildings. And one of our guys happened to live locally and he just happened to get one of the, one of the concrete trucks just to duck around to his house, pour out a bit of concrete so he could sort out a new driveway. And I discovered that and obviously when I discovered it, I reported it because it's theft. So imagine, having just told you that story, if I rock up to church here next week and I say, hey, great news, on the side... I've been doing a bit of contract work for a construction company and I've just managed to get a little bit of concrete at no charge from the project and uh, laying myself a new driveway. Well, apart from having to find another church to go and minister at, <laughs> I couldn't defend that, could I? There's no way that I could suggest to you that I was innocent. I didn't understand that what I was doing was wrong. I'd be condemning myself. No excuse. I'd be guilty. And so I just I want to ask us, have, have we ever felt greed or envy or deceit or malice or gossiped about someone or spoken behind someone's back, been mean-spirited to someone or any of the rest of the things that are up here on the screen from chapter 1? Of course we all have. And what about judgment of others for those same things? When did you last judge someone like that? So I think if we're honest with ourselves, we've all done that too. Let's take a few moments now just to think about this week or even the last couple of days. When did you last make a judgment about somebody? It might be your partner or your kids or a friend or a work colleague. It could be a spoken word. It could just be a thought in your mind. But when did you last make a judgment about somebody? And what was it for? I've been teaching my um, eldest daughter to drive in the last, uh, the last few months. And um, not so long ago, we came up to uh, a roundabout. Two lanes were merging and a guy just zoomed around on the left, overtook us as we were merging in, impatient and frustrated that we weren't fast enough. Now, I hope it wasn't anyone here because I looked at my daughter and said, see, you need to be very careful when you're driving because of idiots just like that. <laughs> so you can see right there, I judged him, didn't I? I judged him, and rightly or wrongly isn't the point I'm trying to get to. The, the thing is, I've been frustrated and impatient with slow-moving traffic in front of me. I've had thoughts going through my head. 
guilty of the same thing, really. So there's no excuse for that. That's hypocrisy. So when we judge these things in others, the things that we do, we condemn ourselves. Because ours is not an impartial judgment. But God's is. God's is and uh, God's, uh, God's judgment is and God will judge. And verse 11 here says that unlike each of us, he won't show favouritism. Which brings us to our second point. God's judgment is impartial. Now the Apostle Paul, he says here in verse 2, God's judgment's based on truth. So he's an impartial judge. Which really, if you put all of those things together, our nature, God's judgment on truth, it really doesn't make sense. See, if someone judges then it means they can clearly identify something wrong. But if we know that God will judge truthfully, yet do the same things ourselves, that doesn't really stack up, does it? It doesn't hang together. So what I mean by that is if I recognise what defiance towards God looks like, because I can see it, I judge it in others, if I recognise it but I know God will one day judge me for it, why would I do the same? And yet I do. And so Paul goes on to say, well, either I must think that I'll get away with it, escape God's judgment, or here in uh, verse 4, I must hold God's patience in some kind of contempt, you know, like... Um, I haven't been judged yet. God's been very patient with me, so it must be all right just to keep on going then, a sort of contempt or at the very least maybe a complacency. If it doesn't hang together, it's got to be one of those two things, doesn't it? Either escape judgment, get away with it somehow, or some sort of contempt for it, some sort of complacency maybe. If I know what turning away from God's way looks like, but I do it, Either I think I'll get away with it or I just think God will just keep putting up with it uh, if I even think about it at all. But of course, God is just and so he won't just let it go. He can't. And so in verse 5, we read here that an unrepentant heart stirs up wrath or anger, stored up until judgment day. And I was preparing this and I, was, and I really stopped and was thinking about this. And I think about that for me. That could be a lot of anger stored up. If I have an unrepentant heart that keeps on doing these things that I see in others day after day, week after week, year after year until I die and eventually face judgment, that could be a lot of anger. And I will face judgment. Verse 16 in our passage says there is a day when God judges people's secrets through Jesus Christ. So if you're feeling the pressure that the Apostle Paul is building up so far in this passage, he isn't finished. 
Because verses 14 and 15 say this. Indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature things required by the law, they are a law for themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts. So even those that haven't been given God's law, you know, the the law of Moses that was given to the Israelites, even those who haven't been given God's law still have an awareness of the law. And I think we sort of understand that, don't we? Because most people know that it's wrong to murder or to steal or to cheat on their partner. And that's because when God gave Moses the Ten Commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal and so on, it was sort of, he was publishing his order, really, that was written into his creation. That's why people have an awareness of right and wrong and a moral compass. It's part of how God created everything and gave an order to his creation. He just published his good order that was written into his creation on those stone tablets that he gave to Moses. So there really isn't any excuse Even those who haven't had the law revealed to them have an awareness because of God's creation and the order that he's built into it. And so because of that, their own conscience is conflicting, accusing and defending. And from their own conscience, people know that they've gone wrong. And on that last day, God will judge those secrets. I can imagine having a GoPro camera in your brain, you know, recording your life, everything that you did, everything that you said, every thought you had, every feeling that you ever had towards someone, and this camera could put it all into words and pictures like one big movie, all played out on a big screen for God to see. How do you reckon your conscience would go? Would it witness and accuse you? Mine definitely would. Definitely would. And I have a lot more revealed to me about what God wants than someone who hasn't even seen the law written down. So there will be no excuse on that day. Now, I'm not sure how you're feeling sitting there. You might be sitting there thinking, I'm feeling pretty thrashed about now. But that's not a bad thing, actually, because this passage leads us to realise that while we wait for that time of judgement, God's actually being very patient, putting up with us. And actually, it's that his kindness isn't supposed to make us live in contempt or complacency towards him. It should lead us to repentance. Because we can't solve this problem we have, but God can if we turn to him in repentance and faith. And that's what verse 4 tells us here. God's kindness should lead us to repentance. God's kindness should lead us to repentance. Now, I just want to quickly look at verses 7 and 8 and verse 13. Um, It's a little bit tricky to work out exactly what these mean. Verse 7 and 8 says, To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honour and immortality, he will give eternal life. 
But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there'll be wrath and anger. And then verse 13 says, For it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it's those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. It almost sounds works-based, doesn't it? Like, I need to do something to, um, to be forgiven or to be declared righteous or to be made right with God. And we know that no one is saved by works or what they do. Um, possibly these mean uh, are referring to the person who is repentant and has turned to God in faith. They'll do the things of the law, not perfectly, not completely, but as an expression of their repentance and faith. Or it might mean that persistence in doing good and obeying the law is this standard that we can never meet. And so it makes the reader realise they need something else. They need to turn to God in repentance and faith. And honestly, uh, after hours of looking at this, and really, I'm not sure which way I fall between those. But either way, it doesn't change the message of our passage. The message is still the same. Whichever way you take it, the message is still the same. God is patient in giving us this time that we have so that we might turn to him in repentance. In God's kindness, he's given us time to turn to him in repentance. And repentance, it means to turn around like doing a U-turn in your life, a U-turn in your mind that affects your life, to turn around from being a person who ignores God to becoming one who recognises his rule in our lives. You know, to stop living as if we're the king, but giving allegiance to Jesus as Lord, and Lord over every corner of our life, not just paying him lip service. And so whether Jesus is your Lord and he has been all your life, or he's not your Lord at all right now, we all need to turn to him and repent. Even those who follow Jesus and have been for a long, long time still struggle with wanting to do life our own way. We will always have parts of our life to turn and repent from. I was talking to a mate of mine the other week. Um, He's a pastor of a church in another state, so nothing to do with Trinity. And he was telling me about this meeting that he went to with all these pastors coming together, talking about church stuff, and he said it was awful. He said they were calling each other out. He said they were having a go at each other verbally. And we were saying, oh, it's a terrible, isn't it, people doing that sort of thing? Especially, like, you know, you would expect better from a bunch of blokes like that. And so there we are, judging their behaviour. And again, rightly or wrongly is not the point I'm trying to draw out, but we were judging them. And we had this discussion, well, hang on a minute, what about us? Have we ever done those sorts of things? And yes, of course, we have. And so right there, I know my need of a repentant heart. Turn to God. So if you're someone who doesn't know Jesus, our passage today says that there will come a time when we all face God in judgment and there will be no more secrets. A little bit like horse in my introduction. The judge in that courtroom saw him and what had happened very clearly And on the day of judgment, God will see us very clearly. Don't wait until then to realise that you need to turn to him because then it will be judgment time. God's patience and kindness is to lead you to repentance. 
Take a closer look at Jesus. Don't wait until his patience has ended. And if you're someone who does believe, if you believe that Jesus died to save you from the punishment you deserve, if you believe that Jesus rose again and he is your Lord, then you might be sitting there really feeling the weight of all of this and the guilt of all the times that you live your own way. And if that is you, then know that God is patient and kind. He is patient and he is kind. Be encouraged by that and be reassured. And be led to repentance. Just turn to him in thankfulness, full of assurance that you are forgiven and you are saved. And if you're someone who believes that Jesus did die for you, yes, but your heart's just fine the way it is, then beware of becoming complacent and disregarding God's kindness and patience. And consider again that God's patience and kindness is also to keep leading you to repentance. See, on that last day, when we stand before the Lord by ourselves... Our conflicting thoughts will convict us of our guilt. And there's only one thing that will excuse us, and that's Jesus and what he's done. So on that last day, we need to be able to point to him and say, I'm with him. And that's what this, challenge, that's what this passage challenges us about. That God's kindness has given us time to turn back in repentance and faith. That's what brings forgiveness and life. So let's pray now for repentant hearts. Turn to our Lord and Saviour. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your kindness and your patience in leading us to repentance. Father, we'd ask that you would help us to search our own hearts and to turn to you in all parts of our lives. Please give us that attitude towards you, Father. Turn to you in faithful repentance, full of faith and full of assurance that we are saved through your Son. And it's his, in his name we pray. Amen.